you join me in reading the scriptures for this morning? The passage is John 7, 37 to 44. And I'll just give you a minute to find that. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his word, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Amen. Thank you, Deb. So we are back to our Gospel of John series that we started earlier this year. We're going to go back to it over the summer months, and we're only in John chapter 7. By the time we're done, we might just get into the beginning of chapter 14. So John's a big book. It's hard to do it uh, quickly in a church preaching series. Today we are on chapter 7, and we're calling this message Temporary Home. The series is called Why Jesus? And we're asking two questions here. Uh, First of all, we're trying to answer the question, why Jesus? In other words, why would I trust in Jesus? Why would I follow Jesus with my life? Uh, But we're also asking John the question, or Jesus the question from John's gospel, why? Meaning, why, Jesus, did you say some of the things that you've said here recorded in John's gospel? And why did you do some of the things that you did? John's gospel has a lot of provocative words and stories about the life of Jesus. So John chapter 7 temporary home. So kids, help me out here. Uh, Does anyone recognize what's going on in this picture? Uh, We got a little guy here. It looks like he's made a fort in his parents' living room. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite memories of being a kid. How many kids like to make a fort in your inside the house? Anyone? How many parents did this? I've got my hand up. All right, some of you are bold. You're like, I'm willing to admit, yeah, we, I don't know what it is. What is it about making a fort in the house and having this canopy over us? I used to do that, and then I'd take my books in and different things in. It was like my little house. It was my home. Sometimes we do that in the summer in a tent. How many kids like to go camping? Any kids like to go camping? How many kids do backyard camping? The cheapest kind of camping. (laughs) Backyard. Has anyone got a tent set up in the backyard right now? Anyone? All right. Afternoon, this afternoon's activity. There you go, mom and dad. The lawn will be fine, don't worry. Um, My kids like to do this, and I used to think it was really fun to sleep in a tent in the backyard until I got older and realized this is not fun anymore. I don't know what made this so fun, but when I was a kid, it was so much fun, whether to go camping at a campground or to set up the tent in the backyard. What we're learning about today in John chapter 7 The whole chapter is centered around a special feast that the Jewish people celebrated every year. It was usually in September of the year, and it was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Or in our language, you might call it the Feast of Tents. And it was a feast in which the people literally built a fort 
or a tent or a shelter. Uh, they had to live outside for a whole week. They lived in this little shelter that they would build. Some of them would build it on the roof of their house. Some of them would build it in their yard or maybe right along the street. In fact, thousands of people would come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. In fact, it was commanded in the Old Testament, you've got to go to Jerusalem, you've got to celebrate this feast. And it was a time of great joy. And I bet you the kids loved it. You can see in this picture, there's a little guy helping his mom and dad build the fort, the place where they were going to spend a week camping out. Now, why would God ask his people to do this? Why would there be a special feast for Israel in which God would say, I want you to spend a week camping. You're going to live in a tent or in a fort. And the reason, of course, was that it was a time to remember when God brought his people out of Egypt. Do you remember that, when they were slaves in Egypt? If you've been to WBC Kids, you know the Bible so well, I know this. So you've learned about how the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but God came in, showed his strong hand, did all kinds of miracles, sent plagues upon the Egyptians, and he brought his people out of Egypt. But then they spent, not just months, they ended up spending years living in the wilderness in tents until they came into the promised land and found that to be their home. So here's a picture that describes what it looked like to be in the, in the nation of Israel, in the wilderness. They had their tabernacle set up. They had uh, their place of worship. And then the people camped on all four sides all the way around. So you can see the tents uh, that, they, that they would have lived in as families. So the Feast of Tabernacles was meant to be a time of remembering and celebrating what God had done when he brought them out of Egypt. God wanted them to remember. There was a time when you didn't have your own land. When you came out, you, you, you were in the wilderness, and I provided for you. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. In the Gospel of John, and we're going to see it next week as well, so often there is a story that revolves around an event. Sometimes it's a feast, and then there's a teaching that goes really well with that. And I want us to see how that works in John chapter 7 today. So there's three things. So kids, uh, Katie had her one, two, three. I'm going to have a one, two, three for you as well. So here's the three things that I want us to learn from John chapter 7 today. And here's the first one. You can hold up your first finger if you want to. Here's the first thing we're going to learn from John chapter 7 today. And that is that Jesus was far from home. All right? So Jesus, far from home, is the first thing we're going to learn about. The second thing we're going to learn about is that this, this world, is not our home and the third thing we're going to learn about is that God is with us till we're home. All right? So can we all say that together if you're a kid? I want you to help me out. If you're, if you're old, you can help us too. So number one, let's say it together. Jesus, far from home. Number two, this is not our home. And number three, God is with us till we're home. So here's the first thing that I want us to see from John chapter 7. And that is that Jesus was far from home. Now remember, this whole story takes place around the Feast of Tabernacles when the Jewish people were celebrating a time when they had no home. And I want us to see how this applies to the life of Jesus. So notice verse 1 of chapter 7. Jesus went around in Galilee. So if you remember chapter 6, you might not, but in chapter 6, Jesus had had a huge debate, a big quarrel with the Jewish Pharisees, the religious leaders. 
So now in chapter 7, after that has happened, it says that he went around, he traveled around in the region of Galilee, which was a long ways north from Jerusalem. Notice what it says. He did not want to go about in Judea or Jerusalem because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now notice this. So in verse 1 we find out that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Now notice what happens here in verse 3. Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you are doing these things. Show yourself to the world. Notice verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Do you know what this means? It means that if Jesus goes to Jerusalem, his life is in danger. There's people there who want to kill him. But if he stays in Galilee, which is where he was born, it was actually his homeland, his own family was saying, go somewhere else. That's, that's what the Lord's brothers were basically saying to him. Would you please leave? We don't want you here. His own physical brother. So what does that mean? Jesus was the oldest in his family, right? Jesus had this miraculous birth. But after he was born, Mary and Joseph had more kids. And his brothers, even though they'd watched him grow up, Jesus had never sinned, never done anything wrong. Maybe they were jealous of him. But for whatever reason, they didn't like Jesus and they didn't want him around. So like, you should go to the feast. Leave here. We don't want you here. Because even his brothers did not believe in him. So Jesus was rejected. Here's the first way that we see that he was far from home. Look at verse 7. Jesus speaking here now to his brothers. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Here's Jesus saying, I've come into this world and the world hates me. Look at verse 12. Among the crowds, this is now in Jerusalem at this festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Then look down at verse 30. At this, this is now after Jesus has gone to the festival, he's teaching in the Jewish temple. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. That meant that Jesus there was a time coming when he would be arrested, when he would be killed, but this was not the time, even though the Jewish leaders wanted to arrest him. And then notice verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. This is an amazing reality for Jesus, that even though he is, we know from Scripture, he's the one who created the world. He's the one who is ruler of the world and yet when he came into the world what happened let me just show you i'm going to skip ahead here because john's already told us about this in his first chapter he's talking about jesus here in chapter one he says he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him Jesus left his true heavenly home to come into our world and the world, even though it was the world that he'd made, the people that he'd created, the world would not receive him. Jesus was far from home. 
Well, here's the second thing that we see that, that shows us that Jesus was far from home, and that was he had a wisdom people couldn't figure it out. Notice these verses in verse 15. The Jews there were amazed and asked. This is after Jesus had gone up and begun to teach in the temple in verse 14. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? It's kind of like we might ask someone that we meet who surprises us, who, who's got some special gift, and we might say, where is this person from? And notice how Jesus answered the question, verse 16, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. So Jesus had this heavenly wisdom, and he says the reason that he has this heavenly wisdom is because he's come from God, and his wisdom is God's wisdom. At the very end of the chapter, this is after the Pharisees had sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. Notice verse 45. The temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? And notice their answer. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. Jesus was far from home. And one of the ways we know that is because he brought a wisdom that was not from this world. It was the wisdom of God. It was the wisdom of heaven. And people knew that there was something very unique about him. And then finally, notice these two verses, verse 33 and 34. Jesus here refers to the fact that he's going to return to heaven. The bread of God, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter here, verse, chapter 7, verse 33. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Here's Jesus alerting us to the fact that he's come from far away, and he's going to be returning to his rightful home. Jesus was far from home. This is really important for us to realize. And why do we, why do we need to know this? It's important for us to know this for a few reasons. And I want, I want us to see this verse also from John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Do you know what that word dwelling is? It's the Jewish word tabernacle. Fits totally with chapter 7 at the Feast of Tabernacles. And John has already said that Jesus has actually played out. He's playing out the Feast of Tabernacles by coming, uh, traveling from his true home, coming to this world and setting up a tent. Setting up a temporary home here. That's what Jesus did in coming to the world. Notice this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus left his true home in heaven, came into our world, and literally as he went about in his 30s telling people the good news, he literally could say this, I have no home. I have no place to call my own. Jesus was far from home. Now, kids, why? Why was Jesus so far from home? Why did he come into a world and, and have no home? Does someone want to, do you want to answer that question? No? But you know the answer. I saw your hand go up. I know you know the answer. The reason is because he came here for us. 
Jesus left his rightful home and he came into our world. Why? So that spiritually homeless people like us could have a home with God. He left home so that he could make a home for us. Now, when I say spiritually homeless people, what I mean is this. Most of us have homes. Some of us live, have, we're part of a family that owns a home. Some of us are part of a family that rents a home. But we all have a place to live. But the Bible teaches us that because we're sinners, we are far from God. We don't have a home with God because we've sinned against Him. But Jesus left His home, came to this world to rescue homeless people like us and to bring us back so that we could have a home with God. Isn't that amazing? Kids, is that something we should be thankful for? That, that Jesus would come here to do that for us? It's amazing. We have so much to be thankful for. We can say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus was far from home. Well, the second point that I want us to remember, and I hope you remembered it, Jesus far from home was number one. This is the second one. This is not our home. I want us to think about why was John even writing this? If I was writing a gospel about Jesus, I wouldn't tell you all the bad stuff. I wouldn't tell you about all the people that didn't like him. I wouldn't have told you that his brothers wanted to send him away. I wouldn't have told you that the Pharisees wanted to kill him. I would have tried to put the best spin on this story of Jesus to try and convince you you should believe in Jesus because lots of other people believe in Jesus. But instead, John showed us all the kinds of people who didn't believe in Jesus and even hated him. Why did he do that? I think it's because of this. John experienced suffering in his life as a disciple of Jesus. And he was writing to believers who were suffering for being disciples of Jesus. So why would John chapter 7 be so encouraging to us when we see all of this opposition to Jesus? Here's the reason. It's because the followers of Jesus can be reminded that we are suffering and experiencing the very same thing as our rabbi. Jesus is going to go on and teach us that in John's gospel. Notice what he's going to say in John chapter 15 to his disciples, to all of us, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So John is trying to encourage people like us who are living in a world that hates them for following Jesus. We can be encouraged because we're being treated exactly the same way as our rabbi was treated. So kids, I gotta ask you a question. When you think about, we just celebrated Canada Day, so uh, here's my question for you. Is Canada, if you're a follower of Jesus, is Canada your true home? I see some uh, shaking of the head. Is Canada your true... I, there's another one. The Bible actually tells us what our true home is. Let me show you this scripture. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. If we are followers of Jesus, we are not first or primarily citizens of Canada, but we are citizens of heaven. That is our true home. So notice some of the other things that Scripture says to us. In 1 Peter 1.17, Peter wrote that we should live out our time here as foreigners in reverent fear. Now I wonder... Uh, it's so cool to have Russ and Meredith here, and I wish I'd interview the kids. It's kind of spur of the moment. I won't do that, but 
Now, Singapore is a place where there's lots of people from all over the world. Is that right? But I don't know if you kids feel like when you live there, you're, do you feel like you're a foreigner or are you just one of the, one of the crowd? Because when people come to Canada from other places, sometimes we look at them as foreigners. And I know I've traveled to other parts of the world where people don't look like I look and don't talk the way I talk. And I have felt like a foreigner. And what's so interesting is scripture here, the Bible actually teaches us that we should think of ourselves, that we should understand that this is what we are as we live in the world. We're not citizens here. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are pilgrims. We are foreigners as we live in this world. Scripture actually teaches us that this is the right way for us to think about ourselves, which is pretty strange to to consider that. As we live in this world, and we live in one of the greatest countries in the world, we are so blessed to be Canadians, and we need to be so thankful for that. But we still need to think of ourselves in this way, as God teaches us here. Don't think of yourself as being home when you live in Canada or when you live in this world. Think of yourself as a foreigner and an exile. So I'm telling this to all of us here. This is the right way for us to think. So if we decide, no, no, this, this world's great. I mean, this is, I'm going to have my best life now. I, I'm going to make the best home for myself now. I'm going to have the best fun that I can have now. I'm going to pursue treasure now and wealth now and happiness now. I'm gonna, I, that's what I want now. And we live in a culture where those things seem like they're in in reach. I can have an amazing home. I can have the vehicle that I've always dreamed of. I can have all the stuff that I want. And yet God says, no, no. This is not home. This is not heaven. You need to live in this world and live in this life as a foreigner. What does that mean? So if we live in this world as a foreigner or an exile... It means this. Number one, it means we don't put deep roots down here. Number two, it means that we don't live for the things of this world. Uh, Number three, it means that our king, our allegiance, isn't to a person or a political figure in this world. Our allegiance, our worship goes to someone from another world, the world that we belong to. We're citizens of heaven. It also means this, that in this world... If I suffer, if I have to go through hard things, if I lose the stuff that I wanted to keep, if my health goes south, if I have sickness or disease, it's actually okay because I'm not expecting this life in this moment to be a dream world. And finally, if I live as a foreigner in exile now, what it means is that my whole focus, my whole attention, my whole hope is on a future time when I'm going to truly be home. I'm going to be home with my heavenly Father. I'm going to be home in my heavenly eternal place of dwelling. On Labor Day weekend, we're going to learn from John 14, 6, where where Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And when I live as an exile and a foreigner here, I'm saying, that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's not living for this life and for the things of this world. Which is why Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do we do that? We do that by living for that other city, that future city, that place. We live not for ourselves here, but for our king in heaven, Jesus. Notice what Jesus says here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a warning. Brothers and sisters, see this verse as a warning. What he's saying is if your whole life is wrapped up around earthly treasure, your, tre- your heart belongs to the earth. doesn't belong to God. Take this as a warning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. This is not our home. All right, so do you remember our, our first two things? Number one, Jesus, far. Anyone remember? Let's say it together. Number one, Jesus, far from home. Number two, this is not our home. And then number three, God is with us till we're home. So I showed you this picture, and I want us to think a little bit. If if you know the stories of what it was like for the people of Israel to live in the wilderness, you could say, well, man, that must not have been very nice. I mean, it was like a desert. It was hot. There wasn't a lot of food. There wasn't a lot of water. But imagine some of the things that they got to experience because they were in the wilderness with God. You can actually see one of those things in this picture. A visible way that the people knew that God was with them. Does anyone know? Any of the kids see in the picture? What was the visible thing in this picture that reminded God's people that he was with them? Anyone know? You can see it hovering over the tabernacle. It's like this cloud. No, that's not forest fire smoke. That was God's presence. Now, God wasn't the smoke, of course, but he gave the people a visible uh, display of the fact that he was with them. And so what we read in the Old Testament is that uh, that, that when God wanted the people to move, this pillar of cloud would lift up from the tabernacle and it would begin to move in the direction that God wanted them to go. And so the people would pack up their tents and they would, they'd get on the move and they'd follow that pillar of cloud. And then when the cloud would come down, that's where they knew God wanted them to stay and camp for a, time, a period of time. This pillar of cloud we read in Scripture literally became a pillar of fire at night. Can you imagine? I mean, how many of us have wished at different moments in our life as we try to live this life of faith that I wish I could just see some evidence for God. And for all of the hardship of the wilderness, the people could do that. If you were laying in your tent at night wrestling with, you know, is, is God real? And, and what is my life? What, is, what, what does life mean? And what is the purpose of my life? You could actually get out of your bed and walk out of your tent and look over to the tabernacle and see a supernatural pillar of fire. God was with his people in the wilderness. How about this picture? Who can tell me what the people are doing in this picture? Another way that God showed his presence with Israel. Anyone know? Yes, sir. They were picking up the manna. So every day God would send supernatural bread. People could come out of their tent and they'd see it all over the ground and they could collect it. And so even though they were living in the wilderness and they didn't have crops and food, God fed his people. And then I love this picture. There were times in the wilderness where the people became thirsty. There was no water to drink. And on one occasion, God told Moses to strike the rock with his staff. I just think this is such a cool picture of this flow of water coming out of the rock 
in order to provide for his people. And there were hundreds of thousands of Jewish people living in the wilderness, and God sent them enough water to refresh them. God is with us till we're home. So I wonder if we know that. Kids, if you've decided to follow Jesus with your life, here's the thing that I want you to know this morning, and that is this, that God is with you till you're home. I've just told you, this is not your home. That wasn't a very encouraging Canada Day weekend. This is not your home. You're actually a foreigner in this world. But here's what I want you to take hold of, is that God is with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is with you. How do we see that? It's in the verses that Deb read for us, starting in verse 37. So if you've got your Bibles there still open, look at those verses again with me in verse 37. Here's Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles preaching the good news, and he says, um, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Do you know that our lives are so much like life in the wilderness? In fact, sometimes the Bible talks about people like us having hard hearts. Our hearts are literally like that stone there that Moses struck with his staff. And what is God offering to do for us through Jesus Christ? If we were to turn to Jesus and believe in Jesus Christ, what is Jesus saying? Water from a rock. Life-giving water can flow in your heart, can transform you from the life, the dead life that you had as a sinner before you knew, knew Jesus, and now it can be like streams in a desert. It's, it's like refreshment. It's life-giving water that God says, will flow in your heart. And how do we get that? Well, Jesus says, it's just so simple, verse 38, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me. What he means there is whoever trusts in me. So we have this choice to make as we live in this world. We can seek fulfillment and refreshment from this life and from this world, or we can turn away from that, recognizing that our, our hearts are actually hard. We don't find life within us, and many of us could say if we've experienced some of the things that the world has to offer, we can say through our experience it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't make me fulfilled. It doesn't make me happy. And Jesus says, if you turn, turn from the things of the world. Turn from finding hope and life and meaning in this world. Turn to me, and in me you can find this life-giving water. I wonder if you have ever done that. Guys and girls, you don't have to wait to be old like me to trust in Jesus, do you? In fact, Jesus said, that anyone who comes to him by faith has to become like a little child. He said that the kingdom of God is made up of little children. So you, do you realize this? Right now this morning here in church, you could turn your heart away from the things of the world, away from the sin that you've experienced and, and practiced in your life, and you can turn to Jesus and Jesus promises if you would do that, if you would turn to him and trust him, 
that he would make you alive on the inside. So alive that it's like springs of water flowing out of your heart. Now he goes on to say that ultimately that's going to happen by the Holy Spirit. And scripture tells us that if we trust in Christ, that God literally seals our lives with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that wherever you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not alone. God is with you. So we live in this world as foreigners and strangers, but what does God say? I am with you. You trust in me. I place within your heart the Holy Spirit, the life-giving presence of God. That means that when we have questions and doubts, we turn to, to the Holy Spirit. We turn to God. When we have needs, when we have fears, we turn to God. It means that we can trust him at all times and find that he is real and living within us. This is the good news of Jesus. He presented this good news at the Feast of Tabernacles as people were living in these booths, remembering that they once had been strangers and aliens in a foreign land. And actually, it's a reminder to us that that's exactly what we are as we live in this world. We are strangers and foreigners. But because Jesus left his home, he came to make spiritual orphans, homeless people, to bring us back into a home and family of God. And we can have this through trusting in Jesus. That is why we want to be all for Christ. It is only in Jesus that we can find salvation, that we can have sins forgiven, that we can have this eternal life. And don't we want to tell others this good news as well? We're going to sing a closing song, and then Murray's going to come and close in prayer.